I really hope that this is the summer of offline and gathering in person. I know that we're planning a lot of different events safely um, outdoors and that people are really excited for this just to have a different kind of connection and approach to work. We need it. I think we need to take the time to just enjoy being outside, enjoy being around each other safely. Just going to a meeting the other day for the first time in over a year, I felt so good and so positive and so energized in a way that I can't remember. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what the fun parts of my job used to feel like. Yeah, I don't want to go back though to the like eight different meetings a day, running around like a crazy person. I do think that I realized the extent it affected my nervous system. As challenging as this year has been, it's forced a different kind of approach to work. I'm Erin Allweiss. And I'm Melody Serafino. We're the co-founders of Number 29, a media relations agency that focuses on sustainability, design, and advancing social change. This is the Enough Podcast. We're here because we know we have enough collective power to create meaningful social change. And we've had enough of the violent rhetoric that prevents real progress. We know now what actually needs to happen in person versus what can be a call and not a video call, but an actual old-fashioned phone call because I will say the amount of meetings did not change over the last year. So I don't feel like I did any better keeping my schedule more balanced. I just was using a different medium to do it. Yeah, I have to say too, our next guest who we're talking to is Sophia Rowe. And she has such an incredible and dedicated following on social media. And I know the demands on her are extensive to create and produce. She's also the host of Counterspace on Vice TV. She is a writer and she's producing a podcast that'll be coming out that's all about frontline workers. I don't know how she does it. And actually, she just shared that she suffered from a series of small strokes and was very public about this and about needing to recover, but also to be an advocate for one's health. You know, if we're not feeling right or if things are going wrong, to say something to our doctors because health is just the most important thing. Yeah, but I think just through the nature of her job as being a public person who people look to online, who is constantly creating content, I mean, that takes such a toll. I can't imagine what it feels like to have to be sort of living it through social media and she does such an incredible job advocating for communities and and groups that need that who you know she bringing attention to important causes I mean obviously she cares deeply about food and food systems and who has access to them but I think that you know what has been happening with her personal health is a real call to action for all of us to just listen to our bodies and also push our doctors even if we're not getting the response we need from them when we know that something's not working right or something's not feeling right to continue to push to find out answers. Yeah, I mean, I it really is just such an honor to be in her orbit and to learn and grow from her. I think not having things has really made me this way. You know, like I, I care so much about people having a full belly because I like know what it feels like to not have one you know and I can't think of anything more important than food food is is not to be treated as something like trivial you know it's literally something that we need 
it's where we get our energy from. And that means land, right? We can't grow food without land. Like that's, like, there's something about this sort of earthness of it. The earth is what gives us the ability to be these revolutionary people. We would not even yeah. be people without this earth, you know? So everything for me kind of ties back to that. And I guess ultimately I just know what it feels like to, to experience hunger. And I wish more people use the word hunger when they talk about food insecurity, because that's what it is, right? It's, it, you know, like food inequities and, you know, access and it's like all great. Sanitizing it. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. But I'm like, at the end of the day, we're talking about 60 million kids that go to sleep hungry. Yeah. In America, it's just domestically, you know? I just interviewed Lauren Bush Lauren, who founded Feed, and I brought you up. I was like, I love that Sophia Rowe talks about, like, let's call it hunger. This food insecurity thing or lack of access, it is a way somehow to make other people feel comfortable with something that is deeply visceral. And when we say hunger, people can connect to that. And so I do think language matters so much. And it's not lost to me that you are also a writer in addition to everything. Like, you just have this ability to access language that I get, I think makes people understand activism and they're people who wouldn't necessarily be activists. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like any, you can be an activist about anything. The words are like your best tool. And it's the thing about the multi-hyphenate of it all. Like I'm a lot of different things, you know, like, yeah. I, like I'm going to do like a, a silly recipe video and hopefully make you laugh. Like that's a goal. Um, you know, but then there's also parts of me that are just really, really sad. And I think the only thing that can make me feel better is being able to sit down and write about how sad I am. You know, I feel like activists have ultimate pressure in a time of social media. It just feels like you've got to really say every single thing correctly to make everybody happy. But ultimately that's not really what activism is about, right? We have to remember it's, it's not about opinions it's really not about feelings like ultimately you you know leading with facts and leading with like research like this is the stuff we need to care about the climate activists might say everybody needs to go vegan that'll save the planet but i have to come in as a food advocate and say that's called cultural erasure we can't yeah. ask cultures that are thousands of years old to stop eating meat you know forcing veganism onto groups that are not responsible or benefit from capitalistic mass production of meat is is a byproduct of white supremacy you know, the ecological yeah. damage of that industry is not at the hands of indigenous folks. You know, it's not their fault that this is a problem. So I think, you know, that's a conversation about less consumer shaming and more industry accountability. And it's, it's hard. This is like hard stuff. And so everybody can be an activist on their street. I think that, like, you know, if you're, people are like, God, it's so, you know, I want to change things. I'm like, start small. Like, <laughs> like start with like, your block, you know, what can I do to make this block better? Or, you know, um, what can I do to kind of help this one thing? I, I think it's just hard to go about it in a, I'm going to change the world way. And I think one of the easiest ways too, you can really kind of make impact is with your words, you know, like it's, it's the, it's the one tool that we have. Well, we semi have like that freedom of speech, right? <laughs> we have it, but like, you know, that's, a, that's a, maybe that's a different podcast, but it just feels like a place of freedom that the, using your words, you know, I want to talk about the expectation of activists to be perfect and to speak about everything. But also let me, let me go somewhere more fun right now, which is humor. You are funny as hell when you do your voiceovers and like tap into that joy. And as you've said, using humor and this beautiful storytelling, it gets people to 
dig into issues that otherwise maybe they would want to avoid or they can't quite access. And you have the TV show on Vice, Counterspace, which is exactly that. It's like beautiful cooking recipes, but some really serious issues. So I, I, yeah, I want to hear about humor. Yeah, humor is really important to me. It was like, I don't know who said the quote, but it's like they said, you're either funny or have a family. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I've never heard that. I think it's so funny because I feel like, you know, and it sounds really sad, but it's just true. Like I, you know, sometimes if I, I feel like if I don't laugh, I'll cry, right? So I have a really incredible relationship with sadness I do and I and I don't that's not in like a feel bad for me thing I sadness is a feeling you know it's something it's important and uh on the flip of that is joy and hilarity and I'm always mindful that the work I do is really serious and because it's so serious that I'm also able to take a load off and like also just go out of my way to make people laugh I know not to like laugh at a serious thing like I said I know what hunger feels like but at the end of the day, I got to encourage people to get in their kitchens and cook. I have to encourage yeah. people to have confidence when they're in the kitchen. There's nothing more intimidating than me having this intense conversation with you about hunger. And you're like, okay, gosh, now I got to go to the farmer's market. It's like, all right, like, let's like, we're going to have this conversation about hunger. Here's this episode. Here are the, all of these episodes, 24 of these fucking things about these very important things that you have information now let's get in the kitchen and take a fucking load off, okay? Because you're a person. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we can't always just be in one sort of mindset. I mean, I honestly wished your TV show had been around when I was a kid. I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, but at nine, I wrote into my journal about how obsessed I was about global warming and also how much I hated my sisters, but also like I can't stop thinking about global warming and the boy I had a crush on. Those were the three things, but also... It was, I wanted to be a fashion designer. And I'm like, these things can't coexist. I have to just be a serious person. I'm going to be an environmental lawyer. And then fast forward, like we can be different things and we can use design and humor and the humanities to advance really serious conversation. And I think that that's what's so incredible about you. Like you can dip into spaces so fluidly and get people to talk about some serious stuff that they otherwise would be like, I'm not talking about like... I don't know, Hong Kong protest food or... Oh, right. Yes. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, (laughs) So, well, it's like I can give people the facts, you know, like I can do that. 60% of the specialty foods here in America come from somewhere else. And the only place that grows coffee in America is Hawaii. And like we can talk about that stuff. But then it's like I don't want people going to the store and feeling horrible about themselves because they purchased something. But you're a person. You live in... you, you, You buy things. You need things. Right, we can be informed and make the best choice possible, and still like sleep at night, you know. So I don't think it can be everything. I think that we need to normalize this idea of like activists smiling and having a good time. There is a lot of, and Celine Simon talks about this, like that sort of like the mythologizing of the activist, right? Like this idea that I have to feel the way that you feel about every single thing, or that I have to speak on something you are passionate about, you know, like. I have my pillars. I have my things that matter to me. That doesn't mean not every single thing matters to me. Are you kidding? Oh my God, I'm sensitive to every single thing that's happening, but I'm also a human with one set of lungs, one heart, and one head. You know, so the joy part, you know, for me as a black woman, like part of the job of the oppressor is to keep you sad and stressed so that you become weak and compliant, 
right? So joy is actually the best thing you can do to combat an oppressor. Like a worse thing would be to see the very people they're trying to impress living their fucking lives and jamming and feeling good. So that's also part of my activism is like, the second it feels too sad, go be sad, lean into that, but then go be happy, you know? Oh man, yes to all of this. I I think in order for us to be at our best, we have to find those moments of enthusiasm and excitement. That is why I think your work stands out because it's real and serious, but it's funny and it's accessible. And for people who are like, "I I don't even know how to tap into a topic, they can with you. I think that's like also part of it. I don't, not every single thing has to be sorrow filled and sad. If you feel like that, lean into it. Uh, But I also think it's okay to like make fucking delicious olive oil cake. Uh, yeah. Or like, I just feel like Borat is a perfect example of someone like using humor uncomfortably to unearth the most serious stuff. And you're like, damn, like making a point and olive oil cake. Like, but also you're like, this is a Trojan horse for talking about where did the olive oil come from? Thank you. What is the, what about the polenta? Is it from Monsanto? Wait, I mean, you can like, again, it's like we can make a delicious, uh, you know, Yemen date cake. Let's talk about dates. Let's talk about coffee from Yemen. You know, let's talk about what that supply chain looks like. But we can also still like enjoy this delicious uh, date coffee cake that we're making that's yummy and scrumptious. And I, I get food should feel joyful. I'm very aware that there are good, a, a good majority of people struggling with disordered eating that don't get joy with food. Yeah. Right. I just want to make that very clear. I am aware of that. But for the most part, um, most of us are getting a lot of joy from food. And this is while this is sad, hard conversation, hunger, I also think like we, we can still like celebrate with our friends and family or just ourselves and make something yummy, you know? Completely. Also gathering around a table, which I think we're all so missing. It's not just making the food, but breaking the food together. And you were talking about the pandemic and operating at 90% trauma, or we're just constantly working. What has the pandemic been like for you? And what do you want to leave behind from this moment, this hibernation and strange experience? And what do you want to take with you as a lesson? Just a late question. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, What could we leave behind? Okay, we, we could leave behind the this this weird strange urgency culture tech urgency mm. i don't know the email i need it now i want it now 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 like now now trying to go as fast as the internet that shit could go i'm really good with yeah. that like i really you know we treat the emails like doorbells pavlovian dogs yes yeah. right um i also this this thing that the pandemic has really just exposed is just this like lack of nuance lack of intricacy you're either on this team or you're on this team and i think that that is really tough there are a lot of nuances in a lot of different things for a lot of different people so i i think that the pandemic has brought on this really strange lack of understanding in a lot of ways like benefit of the doubt let's give this person the benefit of the doubt yeah in whatever capacity whether it's like someone's having a really rough day at work right like i I don't know how many times i had like a black friends tell me like it's been so hard because the demand at work is so high, but like George Floyd was murdered three days ago and I'm struggling yeah. and no one is like giving me the benefit of the doubt. Like I need a minute, you know, like no one is rat. Like, can we just rally for me, please? You yeah. know? Um, so that could really go. Yeah. Certainly I've rethought a lot of elements of my life. I don't know if there's anything you're like, yeah, this is something that can move with me into the next post vaccination. I hope post pandemic space at some point. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think um, it, it's just we caring about each other, right? Like yeah. I, I have seen more connectivity in our disconnection. This sort of like uh, pandemic has really exposed holes in all the things that we really need that we didn't think about before, which is like what my upcoming special podcasty project is all about. Am I allowed to ask about that? Yeah, yeah. It's related to a question I was going to ask you anyhow, which has to do with your obsession with the subway. Oh, yes. But tell me about your love of the subway, which is also connected to your new podcast. So I just feel like the pandemic really kind of exposed things, right? Especially when we're talking about this time last year, right? We didn't know what was going on really. So maybe for, you know, we're, we're not hearing like ice cream trucks, we're not getting sanitation collection. We're not getting any personal care done. No hair appointments, no nail appointments, right? Like you're, if you, God forbid, you had a mechanic issue, a lot of those things for a long period of time were really hard to get access to, even though they were considered, you know, the um, frontline workers. Yeah. Doesn't mean that there was 100% access to all those things. And I think it was one of the first times where we really sat with ourselves and we're like, oh my gosh, I am so grateful for my sanitation worker. Yeah. I am so grateful for a USPS worker. I am so grateful for contractors. The podcast is sort of a, a thank you to the people that very rarely we even maybe had the opportunity to acknowledge, right? You put your trash out at night and in the morning, it's just gone. Totally. And you don't know where it goes. You don't re- you're so disconnected to it. You realize during the pandemic, we had days, weeks of garbage. You're like, whoa, right? Same with your nails, right? It's yeah. just like, you just go get your nails done. You don't really think about it until you go six months and you can't do it or you can't get the haircut or you can't get the massage. You don't realize how special flowers make you feel till an entire wedding season is canceled and there are no flowers. And then you yeah. realize all the people that work in the flower district, that's no work for them. Right. And then you think about the supply chain, the value chain, how these flowers are coming from Calcutta, they're coming from India. That's less work for them. Right. And so before we talk about globalization, how problematic it is, because it is. Yeah. I'm very excited. Like a conversation where we just hear from like people and also just like, how do they feel about the work that they do? You know, like these are conversations I think worth having. These are people that the work that they do not only matters and makes a difference in our life, but like, you know, they have things too. Right. Like what brings, what brings your sanitation worker joy? That's a question worth asking. Completely. You said that 1% of the population is are farmers. You have a new home that I know has just been like this work in progress in a backyard. Are you going to be growing anything? Not to put you on the spot, but like. You know, I'm kind of late in the season for that. But there's next season. Just like, will there be like some herbs maybe or. Oh, no, there'll be a whole. Listen, there'll be a whole thing. I'm, I'm actually very much a green, a green girl. I'm a plant girl mostly. But no, there'll be things. I think it's more about like we're, right now we're in that kitchen reno, but I definitely will be the, – the backyard will be some kind of like botanical garden. I'll stay tuned. But you talked about, you know, there's a woman, Dominique Drakeford. I don't know if you know her, Sustainable Brooklyn. Yes. And also to talk about being a black woman farming and just – being able to reclaim that and have food security for yourself. And I've just been so inspired by the work that she's doing and the conversation she's having. The work that she does and has continued to do whilst being pregnant, like just incredible. Like if anyone doesn't know her work, also Amber Tam, another incredible farmer. Love that Amber Tam. Um, she is true to form, a 
farmer. So I just, I, her work means a lot to me. And she, I think she, her, her as a person really means a lot to me too, outside of obviously the fact that she grows food for us. I'm going to link to all of these individuals because they, yeah, I just like farmers also celebrating farmers. I don't know if you're interviewing farmers on the podcast, but Hello. yes. So your favorite crop, I, I, I can't go through a conversation with you without asking about fungus. Anything you want to say about mushrooms? What's on your mind as far as mushrooms go? Or are you just like, stop asking me about mushrooms. I get Never. it. Like, I've made it clear I'm obsessed. Never. Oh my God. I, they're my favorite thing in the world. What mushrooms are in season? Are they always in season? Again, this is my green heart, not green thumb. It just depends. It, so, so many mushrooms. Like again, you can grow shiitakes on a log like year round. It's not like just the same thing as like growing something outside and just like soil, right? Like mushrooms like don't require sun like they don't perform photosynthesis because they're not plants so I think a lot of people don't like understand they don't like think about that but like mushrooms are fungi and fungi are their own kingdom or as Julianne Forci says a queendom and the great thing about fungi or you know first off mushrooms only about 30,000 fungi actually produce the fruiting body which is the mushroom I've always been like a fungus mold spore kind of girl I grew yeah. up in Florida, heavy, humid environment, and I'm always always sort of fascinated about this idea of like rot and mold and like what is something actually gone bad. And so like this is like a rotten moldy like pepper that's in my <laughs> I'm getting shown a pepper. This is exciting. Like a rotten detritus pepper. And I'm like, this is gorgeous. <laughs> it is really beautiful. And so like even as a kid, I would see this on bread or on, you know, you see this mold on something and this is, humans say this has gone bad, right? And so it's gone bad for everybody except the fungus though, huh? <laughs> it's like, it's perfectly good for the mold. So the, the fungus and, and mushrooms are this just sort of great recyclers. Um, they are these great decomposers and I think I need people to understand that without them, the world would just be covered in dead stuff. So I per- firmly believe that fungus molds and spores are a sort of proof that life exists after death. And that's why they mean so much to me. Everybody has pulled full carte blanche to go kind of nuts on something and really become obsessed with one thing. And mine is definitely fungi. I just love it. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Somehow it makes sense to me that you're both obsessed with the subway and mushrooms because both are kind of like humid, dank, and also like don't require sunlight or photosynthesis. So it's just like all of it makes sense because there's definitely fungus happening on the subway. Um, I just put that together personally, but I was thinking about this in preparation for it. It's all connected, girl. Do you have a favorite episode of Counter Space? If you're just like, if someone's going to dip into this, because like I personally geeked out on the aquaculture one. But that's because like I'm, a, I'm like a little obsessed with fish farming, and also, have you wait? Have you seen Sea Spiracy? I have seen that. I I just, it's such a scary show. Yeah, it leads with fear. Yes, I don't love that. That's not my with fear. one solution. Stop! Stop like, eating! Eat, stop eating stop fish! Eating. That can't be it. That can't be it. Because if that's the only thing, that's also not enough. I want to yeah. make that clear. Also, like, I just want to say, like, to each their own. Everyone le- has a different style of efficacy, right? Some people lead with fear. Uh, my thing is I, I lead with sort of accessibility. I'm always trying to kind of meet someone where they're at. Yeah. And I'm um, also kind of lead with, like, the digit. Like, you're a human. Like, you're one person. So that's sort of my brand of advocacy. And I think back to what we were saying before, I think that's something really important to keep in mind. There are some advocates are, that are very journalistic. They're going to give you just facts and they're not really going to get into it. They're not super much going to connect with you. 
Seasbury Sea is was its goal didn't seem like it was trying to connect with the consumer. Its goal from the very its impetus was fear, and that's yeah. just not my style. My favorite favorite episode of Counter Space was absolutely oh my well I don't know there was this really I loved the cabbage episode because we mm -hmm. got to talk about this idea of aquaponics, which I thought was really sexy, and Oki Farm, Oko Farm, excuse me, um, which is here in New York, which a lot of people, in Brooklyn, a lot of people don't realize that. It's hard to like, pick your favorites, but I'm fascinated by regenerative agriculture to the point of obsession. Yeah. People love using the term, but they don't actually talk about what it is. They're not actually talking about apiaries. They're not talking about bees. They're not talking about like um, soil regeneration. They're not talking about compost. They're not talking about fungus. I think fungus is huge, you know? My favorite uh, genus species of mushrooms, Tremella fusiformis. So these are these like jellied, sort of like gelatinous kind of fungus. They've been used in Chinese culture for centuries, typically for beauty practice, right? They are really rich in collagen, but they can hold up to 500 times their water weight. In places that are experiencing climate change, when we're talking about the planet heating up, being able to incorporate tech with Tremella fusiformis and being able to create, whether it's like tarps or whether it's like surfaces or fabrics made out of Tremella fusiformis, hello, that's regenerative agriculture. That is literally being able to take a fungus that can hold 500 times its weight in water and water crops with it. Aquaponics showed us that we don't need soil to grow food, but we always need water to grow food. And so the number one most important thing I think people don't think about is Every living thing on the planet, it just got to have some kind of water or moisture. What a perfect note to wrap on that it's optimistic. Like even in talking about climate change and a mushroom whose name I cannot pronounce. Um, but my last question I always end on is what have you had enough of? And when do you feel like you have enough? Like you're good. I feel like I have enough. Um when it's just like me and my partner and his son just like being who we are, silly, in just bed watching like funny Maddie Matheson on YouTube. That's when like I feel like enough. I feel good. Um, and I think I've had enough of violence on social media. Really had enough yeah. of it. I don't want to call it hatred anymore, bullying. It's violence. And I have definitely had enough of it. I've had enough of seeing it. I've had enough of talking about it. Whether we're talking about racism, whether we're talking about fat phobia, whether we're talking about anti-Semitism, I don't care what we're talking about. I've just had enough of like violence on the internet. That is something that if that goes today, I am perfectly fine to never see that shit again. <laughs> so there's that. I am so with you. And you are such a special soul and voice and advocate. And I am really, really lucky to be in conversation with you. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time, Sophia. Girl, of course, Erin. Come on, girl. I just, it's never a light conversation with us. We're like, cool, what's going on? Let's talk about. <laughs> it isn't. But so much more interesting. We see with social media that so many people are very kind of anti-group think. And it's like, yeah. okay, if you're not willing to have group think and group convo and unless you're in a room full of people who agree with you which ain't the same thing and if you're not willing to get new information and change your mind like how are we so I feel like a lot of times this is why my form of advocacy really starts with like an individual I think sometimes you can make the biggest impact by like having a conversation with a human with one person and that means meeting them at where they are so I feel like your goal is to change the world start talking to your friend yeah you know, like these conversations are important and they're heavy, but they feel less heavy when you can connect in a singular way, you know, 
I completely agree. And, and it's actually one of my favorite things to be in conversation, which is why I'm probably a communicator, but I, there are some, there are some people who are very, very brilliant at it and, and you're up there. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, Aaron, of course. I'm so excited to hear about this podcast that Sophia is launching. I have always dreamed of having a platform or writing a book or telling the stories of these people who we interact with and engage with every single day in our lives and are absolutely critical to our existence, particularly here in the city, and whose stories we never fully get to know or hear. So I love the fact that she is elevating these voices, and I'm so fascinated to hear what they have to say. Yeah, I would never, ever call Sophia an influencer because that is just so not. She is a chef, activist, a writer, and yet she's using her influence and her reach to highlight the people who make our city run. And she had this idea of, yeah, the nail technicians, the MTA workers, the people who pick up our trash and make sure that the city is cleaned up. This is who she's talking to, and I think that that is just so refreshing. I'm very much looking forward to that. I also think it's just such an extension of what she was talking about with joy and activism, that in order to be an activist and in order to be fired up about these issues that are really tough to tackle, you have to energize yourself. You can't just keep going at this like constant hum of angst. It doesn't work like that. I mean, a lesson to every New Yorker, whether you're an activist or not, right? I mean, this is the takeaway from this past year, but particularly when you're on the front lines of really mission-critical work, it is not physically or mentally possible to keep going at such a pace where at some point you're just so depleted. We all have to sort of give ourselves a break, and that can be hard when you're working on really critical issues that are urgent. It does feel like the demands on activists and public figures are so much more extensive And I think being able to step away from that, just carving out that time is so critical. I don't know how to do that. We're horrible models. We we go for our walks. (laughs) Yeah, we do morning walks. I think that's, but that's only something that I've started in this last year. And that was really out of just the dire need to get out. We have expectations on people who are in the public spotlight that they need to constantly be on and constantly be responding. And somehow if they're not, then they're not doing their job or they're not doing the work. And I think that's just the biggest misconception. I want to give people who are on the front lines the respect that they deserve. Yeah. I also love what she said too about using art and humor to advance conversations around really serious things. Cause I think that that's something you and I have thought a lot about, which is art and design and storytelling can really shift how people think about the world. And that's what makes Sophia so engaging. I mean, Counterspace or TV show, it's not just food activism. That's not why people tune in. It's like, you get the fun recipes, you get the stories. And so it's like, again, sneaking the vegetables into the lasagna that people will get to care about it, but it's very enticing the way that she packages it. Yeah. I mean, I, there are certain Instagram accounts over the last year that I've had to just kind of mute because it's con- it's a constant barrage of all the atrocities that are happening in the world, which I think are really important to know about, but there's no break from it. And it's all just super serious and intense. And after a while, it actually, I think has the opposite effect, which you start to tune out 
because you can't invest and engage in that much intensity consistently. So to be able to sneak in a little humor, sneak in a little art, something where you know people can sort of connect over issues, I think actually makes people more engaged in the topic. I totally agree. And I feel like she is that person. She's just hilarious. I adore her. I'm so happy I got to talk to her. And also, I hope she is healing and off social, doing whatever she needs right now because the world needs her. And so just sending all the good energy her way. I was going to say, Sophia, we're sending you all the healing vibes right now. Hanef is a podcast from Number 29 and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Zandra Ellen. Pineapple Street Studios executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Original composition by Hannes Brown. For more information on Sophia Rowe and Number 29, check out the links in our show notes. <laughs>